This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in. Uh, apologies on the last episode where I wasn't able to update the, the squad news. I had a nice long weekend down in Cornwall uh, shortly after the squad was announced. However, as you probably know, Millie Bright pulled out of the squad a few days after it was announced and was replaced by Lottie Wibbermoy. Then goalkeeper Sandy McKeever withdrew of an injury the day before the Brazil game. Uh, already with three goalkeepers, no one was drafted in. Coming up on this episode, I'll be chatting with Dom Smith from EnglandFootball.org and also of the Evening Standard about the two games we have just had against Brazil and Australia. But first, there were a couple of announcements made before the games were played, I thought I'd just like to uh, touch on. April the 3rd, uh, an unexpected shirt drop was revealed. I say unexpected, though. Shirts just come out here, there and everywhere now, don't they? So it shouldn't really be unexpected. Uh, but the Lionesses had new home and away kits to be worn in the run-up to and during the World Cup. Since 2019, the women have been wearing their own individual shirts, different to the men's. And this is the third set released by Nike. Now, you may remember they began with a white shirt with deep red trim on the sleeve cuffs and an away shirt that was a similar deep red, but had a rose-like pattern across it, which I still think to this day is one of the best England away shirts, regardless of gender. Uh, That duo of shirts lasted them through COVID uh, until June 2022 when they released the shirt as worn during the the winning Euros campaign. That was the all-white kit with the, they call it iridescent, don't they? That sort of sparkly um, effect. Well, that was on the crest. Uh, And then they had the away shirt, that all-bright crimson affair was it orange it was one i have to say i wasn't a fan of but now these new shirts coming out it means that that last pairing will have been in use for less than a year okay they uh they got 18 outings in that time but for a shirt or kit to have a shelf life of less than a year when they cost the best part of 75 to 80 pounds, is, in my opinion, it's pretty irresponsible. Not that I can uh, do a great deal about it, but I, I don't think that's good. However, the latest shirts, once again, they are Nike. Uh, the home one is an off-white, said to resemble the, the chalky exterior of the old Wembley Twin Towers which considering whilst under the FA's stewardship, the women never played there. They only played four matches under the WFA, of which a couple of them were just exhibition matches. Seems a bit of a cheap shot to me. Uh, Anyway, the shirt, 
Uh, it's got these navy blue sleeve cuffs and triangular panels by the collar, which just remind me of the shirts that Nike done from early 2002. Take a look at the Brazil shirt that they wore during that year's World Cup, the Men's World Cup. Uh, Manchester United had something very similar on a home shirt. I think their triangular panels were black. It would appear that someone in the design department has run out of ideas and has reverted to watching old matches to find inspiration. Now, something that the Lionesses should be commended for, amongst many things, I should add, uh, is the addition of blue shorts. Many players, uh, including Beth Mead, have expressed concern about wearing white whilst on their period. Uh, And to their credit, Nike have taken this sensibly. And the home shorts are now navy blue, or gym blue, uh, to give them their correct colour palette. Quite like England in uh, white shirts and blue shorts. Reminds me of the 1990 days. Now, the away shirt I have a lot of time for. Uh, it's not quite as good as that deep red one from a few years back that I mentioned, but it is certainly up there. Shades of the early 90s men's shirt. So a light blue with a geometric pattern across it. Uh, well, let's hope that one of these shirts is worn come the World Cup final uh, and Leah Williamson is seen lifting the trophy in it. Let's hope. After a very complicated process and three rounds of voting, uh, which shows about the democratic process we had, the host of the Euro Women's Euro 2025 is Switzerland. Now that is Alexander Seferin, president of UEFA, announcing on the 4th of April that Switzerland would be the hosts of the 2025 Women's European Championships. They came ahead of a joint Scandinavian bid between Denmark, Finland, Norway and Sweden. Uh, Third place was Poland and France who came last. Uh, Now it's the first time that the Swiss will have hosted the competition. Now they plan on using eight stadiums across the country. Now, it's worth noting that none of these are bigger than Basel's 38,000 capacity stadium. And there are four below 20,000. So it will be a maybe a slightly different feeling um, to the the championships that we had here um, in England last year. What with Old Trafford hosting a game, Wembley hosting a game. Um We shall see. But I'd like to think that by the time it comes around, the FA will have some sort of ticketing system in place for those that want to go. Because I'd imagine demand could well be high. The Women's Euros, much like the men's, is on a four-year cycle. Obviously, with the last one held here in 2022, was held back a year due to the pandemic. God, the the knock-on effect of that period is... He's still with us, isn't it? It's twice I've mentioned it now. (laughs) Sorry. And moving from the the Euros, um, just quickly to the World Cup, we are now less than 100 days away now. Uh, And apparently ticket sales for the New Zealand and Australia tournament appear to have been doing really well. 
650,000 already sold. FIFA are aiming for 1.5 million. 1.5 million tickets sold uh, to be sold for the finals. Why not? Aim high. We shall see if it, it happens. Um, as you may remember, in the preview episode, I did run through our World Cup group fixtures, those against Haiti, Denmark and China. Uh, and like ourselves, these teams have also been in international action. And just to keep you up to date, our first opponents are Haiti. Uh, well, they lost 2-1 to Nigeria, then beat Moldova 3-1. Denmark, they had a good international window. They beat near-neighbours Sweden 1-0, then played Japan. Uh, again, another 1-0 win for them. And China, they had a goalless draw with Switzerland before losing to Spain by three goals to nil. So the day of the Australia game was 729 days since the Lionesses were last defeated uh, and the game was Serena Weigman's 31st in charge. But here to have a chat about those two games with me is, of course, Dom Smith. Hello, Dom. Hello there. How are we doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not, not too bad, thanks. Not yeah. too bad. Well, the Lionesses have had two games, uh, most recently, of course, the Australia game. Um, but we'll, we'll start just by taking a, a look over the Brazil game, which was the, I was calling it the finalissima. Clearly, I got my pronunciation wrong. It's the finalissima. Uh, I think it's got that more European or, or South American accent to it. But it, it seems quite some time ago now, that game against Brazil. Um, and, and you were there too, in a working capacity. Yeah, although I only just arrived before kickoff. I was being driven down from Manchester because I'd been at Old Trafford the night before to cover Man United. And um, yeah, <laughs> I left it a bit late, to be honest. So I sort of waltzed in and they were uh, minutes away from doing the opening ceremony. But there we are. I, I, I want to pick one part of that. Um, you were being driven down. I've got these visions of, uh, of course, you work for the Evening Standard. Uh, the Evening Standard driving you everywhere now. But uh, maybe we can save that for another day. <laughs> That's certainly not what actually happened. I was in the back. <laughs> I was in the back of my mate's car and it's one of, uh, he won't mind me saying this, it's one of the roughest cars you could ever see, to be honest. That, that is exactly the sort of vision I now want. And it's, it's the sort of life that I live in, a battered old car. That's, that's the sort of yeah. thing I have. <laughs> Absolutely right. Excellent. Um, well, so you got in there just, just on time. Um, the one thing I want to say, I had possibly one of the best views or seats uh, I've ever had at the the new Wembley. I mean, we all call it the new Wembley now, don't we? It's still Wembley. Um, mm. I was back row above the the, the TV screens. Um, so there's 24 rows of seats behind those TV screens, and I was right on the back row, uh, and mm. I've never seen such a good vantage point of Wembley. You could see the whole pattern of play. So were, you, uh, in, were you on the halfway line on the other side of the pitch to, to the dugouts then? No, no, no. I was behind the goal. Oh, behind the goal. Oh, that's a great view, that. Yeah, fantastic view. And, and it, I was very fortunate in that um, all the goals uh, and the penalties were taken at my end of the ground. But if I can recommend, if you ever get a chance to 
pick a seat in Wembley for a view of the whole ground, uh, so you can oversee the whole pattern of play. Uh, row 24 behind the goal, behind the screens, you get it yeah. there. A- atmosphere might not sort of reach you, but um, yeah. No, I, I can vouch for that. I was I was almost exactly where you're, where you're on about um, in for one of England's first games under Gareth Southgate. Yep. Um, we won a qualifier against Slovakia 2-1. Went went one nil down after three minutes. Um, I think Rashford scored the winner, right. and I was I was where you're where you're saying, and yeah, a, br- a brilliant view. You know, j- just as good as those expensive seats in the halfway line where you can see it all side to side. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. But anyway, the the women finalissima. Um, you may remember I I spoke with Rich Laverty on the preview to this um, uh, these games, and I said that both Brazil and Australia were knockout opponents, standard of knockout opponents for the World Cup after we'd played our group match games being the equivalent of uh, whoever we played in the Arnold Clark Cup was Italy, Korea and Belgium, wasn't it? Um, Mm. I don't often like to blow my own trumpet, but I think I kind of got that right, that they were of, of a high... I mean, obviously, they were a higher standard, but maybe a little higher standard than... Than we anticipated, and indeed, maybe a little harder than than you'd have wanted if you were a lioness fan. But if you are the if you were a lioness um, or Serena Wiegmann, you're you know they just exude the utmost professionalism, don't they? And I think that playing against teams that have a genuinely good opportunity or or, or a decent likelihood of actually beating you. Um, or holding you to a draw um, it can only be a good thing um, ahead of these these tournaments. There's always that thing to tread, isn't there, ahead of, ahead of a tournament, which is: do you want to go in with a nice, easy enough fixture that you can win, but that it's not a walkover, it's not a San Marino? Well, I mean, I would say England maybe like to do that in the past, men's and and women's, but this is a team that have been on a 30 game un- unbeaten run. So if ever there was a time when, when they don't need a confidence boost, an ego boost going into a tournament, it was surely now. And to play two teams where you can genuinely learn something um, feels a lot more valuable than some of these qualifiers that England have racked up eight, 10, 20 goals in, uh, in recent months. So yeah. yeah, lots of learning to be taken. And actually, if you look at, you know, the blunt fact of the matter is England have had two matches they were favourites to win both, narrow favourites, but favourites to win both, and they won neither. And I think that probably gives uh, both other challenges this summer confidence and England lots of real tangible evidence to go away and look back at the videos and, and work out how to improve. Yes, yeah, totally agree. I mean, the, the first half against Brazil, I... Uh, we we saw lionesses. How we sort of know the lionesses can play? They they were sort of composed and and they had um, sort of attacking momentum. We were attacking Brazil to the point where I kind of thought, do you know what? Brazil aren't as good as maybe I'd anticipated they uh, they could have been or, or should have been. Um, of course, we we put uh, we won up in the first half. Ella Toon scoring the goal from a um, a Lucy Bronze cross. We had so much possession in in that first half that probably we didn't do enough with it to put the game to bed. But the the second half was a was a total turnaround, wasn't it? It was, and and I can remember my <clears throat> my immediate 
kind of reaction when Ella Toon scored that goal. Of course, it was, you say there, Ella Toon goal assisted by a Lucy Bruns cross, but, it, you know, it deserves a little bit more of a of a description because, of course, it came from further back and there was a 1-2 with Stanway that uh, that Bruns played and it was tapped in beautifully by um, Ella Toon. It was a brilliantly worked goal. And, yeah. and my immediate reaction when it went in was, gosh, England are just so good, aren't they? You know, England... Um, they'd romped to victory in three games in the Arnold Clark Cup. They were one nil up here against Brazil in a game where you never really felt like what was about to happen was about to happen. But at that moment, it looked they looked like they were they they might have added some more. And at that moment, you thought you know well I I certainly thought gosh I mean can anyone stop England? But if you told me then that England weren't going to score for the rest of that international break, I would have been very surprised. Um, but yeah, they just weren't quite as um, as on it going forward in the second half. And I think throughout the international break, through all four halves of, of both two games, I think a problem was they were trying to play out from the back, kind of unrelenting in that style of play. But actually, did they really have the players to do it this time? I mean, Alex Greenwood is was a huge miss in the Brentford game and, and Millie Bright a huge miss in both games. And I think it's a... Uh, it's compliment to Alex Greenwood, but it's, a, it's perhaps embarrassing from England's perspective that that their that their best left back is also their third best centre back. Um, so yeah, I think England were missing personnel, but um, Brazil certainly capitalised, and I think that they were good value for their draw in the end. I think they definitely deserved a draw from that game. Yeah, I uh, just one thing. Yeah, I do totally agree with you, um, Reem Millie Bright. I think uh, when she pulled out, I thought actually we we may struggle here because she just has that that presence uh, on the pitch where she's, yeah. if they're paired up alongside Leah Williamson, I kind of have Leah Williamson in my mind as this sort of, despite the fact she's captain, she's the the quieter one. Um, yes. And there's Millie Bright alongside her who, who isn't the captain, but is, is more than um, capable of, of ordering players around and, and sort of making herself heard. And, and we certainly missed that. And, and obviously her on-field presence um, in the style she plays. Um, but, but yeah, Brazil changed it around the, their formation for that second half, um, scored with that last-minute injury time uh, equaliser. But, but Mary Earps, it was uncharacteristic fumble, let, let's put it that way. Um, but she she made up for it in the in the penalty shootout, which was something that perhaps going into the game, people weren't really aware of what we actually needed was was a high profile high pressure penalty shootout having not been involved in one for or many of those players for especially for for England um maybe ever yeah too right I mean in a journalistic capacity when that equaliser went in in the 93rd minute I was devastated because (laughs) it meant that I had to rewrite everything but um, I immediately thought straight up, you know, after I'd calmed calm myself down, I thought, well, this is really good for England because you'd always want to go into a tournament with, with recent enough experience of a penalty shootout, which most teams don't get the luxury of having. But also having it on home soil and having it in front of more fans than England could possibly play in front of this summer. I mean, that is a, that's, a, that's a brilliant set of ingredients to practice a penalty shootout in. And it's a match that, although it's not vital, it does matter. It's not a friendly. It's not like they've stuck, stuck a penalty shootout at the end of friendlies. I mean, I'm, I'm sick and tired of the, for the last 20 years of hearing news stories that 
Sven's England or Fabio's England <laughs> or Roy's England were going to throw a penalty shootout or a golden goal at the end of a friendly. It never, it never happened, and, yeah. and it would have been a bit farcical, wouldn't it? But at least this was a match that actually there was a reason why it needed it needed to go to penalties. With the answer being, it needed to. We needed to know who was going to win the trophy, and and England did. You know, they they only Ella Toon, um looked nervous before and I don't just say yeah. that because she's the only one who missed she did look nervous and, and, and the others strolled up quite confidently but um yeah Mary Earps obviously remi- um reminding everyone quite <laughs> quite um vibrantly quite vehemently that she is the goalkeeper that she is after she'd made that save because she walked away as if to say yeah I'm here and you can doubt me if you want but I'll always come back stronger than you doubt me which I, I think is a uh, a real positive for, for her to have experienced that um, because she had a few moments in the Euros where she made great saves and I think people clung to that. They kept mentioning her her, her retreating save against Spain on the goal line and a couple oh, yeah. of saves in the final. But really, I think it's fair to say it was slim pickings, w- w- highlights for Mary Earps over the Euros. Lots of clean sheets, but but w- were there really a number of world-class saves? Well, to have this moment... Um, especially after making an uncharacteristic error, as you say, is that it's, it's good for her and it bodes well for England. Yeah. Just to, uh, for those that maybe don't know what England women um, or the Lionesses penalty shootout record has been over the years, it's been pretty poor. So it's good to put it to bed. First one was 1979, where we lost to Sweden. Uh, the 1984 European final uh, was lost on a penalty shootout again to Sweden. 2005, there was a um, Algarve Cup or equivalent um, where we lost to China. Uh, and then in the 2011 World Cup against France, we lost a penalty shootout there. Uh, so to finally win one on the uh, on the verge of a World Cup coming up is, is the best thing to have done. But the next game was Australia um, and a, a nation that the night after our game against Brazil, uh, they played off. Uh, so they played Scotland at Kings Meadow. Kings Meadow was that was where um, obviously Kingstonian used to play. But AFC Wimbledon, um, I think, played there for a little. Yeah. I, I don't think they no. They've got their own ground now, haven't they? So it must just be must just be Chelsea women that play there. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just Chelsea women and occasionally the Chelsea Academy team. Uh, but but anyway, surprisingly, um, Australia lost to Scotland. Um, I don't think Sam Kerr played in that. Well, I say I don't think Sam Kerr played in that game. She did, but there was two, one, one for Australia, one for Scotland, um, which is a, a, a strange scenario to have happened. Um, so they went into it on the back of a defeat. England went into this game on the back of picking up a trophy. Um, but a damp Tuesday evening at Brentford was was where it all came to an end, this mighty run that the Lionesses have, have been on. And th- this was a game, once again, you were at. Yeah, very, very windy, very rainy. Um, and, I mean, England just didn't look on it from the first whistle. Uh, no. It's a cliche in football, that phrase, but it's really, it really was true here. Lauren Hemp, I thought, was the best player until she was brought off with a, an, an injury. I thought that the wingers weren't as dangerous as they had been. And, and yet, I would say they were the best players. There was obviously an error by Leah Williamson who um, headed it, but not powerfully enough back to Mary Earps and, and, and Sam Kerr stole in and, and like the striker that she is nicked in and, and dinked the ball over Earps for the opener. 
And then the second goal, you have to say that the the player who headed it wanted it more. Um, I can't I can't recall her name now. I think it was Grant, um, Charlotte Grant, wanted it more um, than Lucy Bronze and got her just um, desserts because she got her goal. Um, England really did look 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 like they lacked any ideas. And Leah Williamson said that herself afterwards. And yeah. Um, she also said that sometimes you you take blessings in disguises, and maybe this was a blessing in disguise, which I think is an interesting way to spin it. But I'm not sure she's a million miles off. I, I tend to agree that if you haven't tangibly got an example of a defeat before you go into a tournament, maybe you can't. Um, maybe you you panic too much when you're in that instance. And, and England went in at the break losing under Wiegmann for the first time. It was the third time they'd been losing under Wiegmann in, in 31 games, but the first time they'd been losing at half-time. The first time that they were then 2-0 down and, and did they recover? I mean, they came nowhere near recovering, to be completely honest. They looked like they lacked ideas. They lacked um, invention. Um, the, uh, whenever they did shoot, it was either comfortable for the goalkeeper, Mackenzie Arnold, uh, or it was uh, just way over, way wide, blocked well by Australia. It, I felt like the match could have been 90 hours rather than 90 minutes and, and England still wouldn't have scored. So, um, yeah, a real off night for England. And it it happens. I, th- I think we all just have to accept it happens. Teams have an off night. It doesn't matter at what level you're playing at. You could be playing local league, Sunday league. You could be on a run of however many games. You could be championship, Premier League. A team will have an off day, um, yeah. and it it just it was just one of those ones. It, it didn't happen for us. Um, there were, yeah, say too many players that just just the whole. I think that the vibe from watching it on the telly that, that there was no urgency. Um, I don't, I don't know, if, I don't think we underestimated Australia, but it just seemed like everyone was playing on a a level five as opposed to a level. Eight, nine, ten that we're we're so used to them um mm. playing at. Um but as as Leah Williams said, a, a blessing in disguise. I, I, I totally agree. Um we need this sort type of game that the pressures that some teams will will bring to us in a knockout game of a World Cup and, and let's see now how how we react to it, how the team, how Serena Feigman and her team sort of analyse the game going forwards. Um, and maybe the players, maybe she'll have a, a rethink maybe of some of the players in in the positions that they play or, or bringing in some new ones. Um, waits to be seen. I was, as you say, Lauren Hemp, um, I thought she had a, a, a good couple of games, um, but was unfortunate that she was subbed off. Lauren James replaced her and, and obviously, we all know what Lauren James is capable of, but again, just didn't really seem on it um, against Australia. Leah Williamson, obviously, that the header, it, it's, it's again one of those things, and and the deflection for the second goal, again, is is just one of those things. But I think she just had a a poor international window um, in comparison mm. to what she's capable of. Um, I, I think is would be fair. Um, so yeah, I'm not not overly panicking um, about the result. The performance maybe is what we need to look at. But um, yeah, going forward to the to the World Cup, I think it's good to get this out of our system now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and <laughs> you'd hope that it wouldn't repeat itself, but you you, you never do know. Um, I think this England team are certainly favourites for the World Cup and, and good enough to win it. I wonder whether they maybe might just end up in a, in a tough match in a, in a quarter final or a semi final or maybe a final and and not quite get the big moments of the game right. Um, so much of tournament football is about that. If England were playing in league season, I think they'd probably win the league, whoever they were playing against. Yeah. Um, but if they're you know playing in knockout football, you, you need to get the moments right. And um, I, I wonder whether perhaps they won't this time, whereas they did in matches against Spain and and Germany. Um, the European Championships and even Sweden, who I think had, had the first shot of the game in that semi-final in Sheffield in someone at the first minute was a cracking save from Mary Earps. And, yes. Yeah. And then they ended up winning 4-0. Well, if you concede that goal, you're suddenly losing 1-0 in the semi-final and you might not make Wembley. So those are the sorts of big moments that have gone for them in the past. Maybe they won't go for them this summer. But look, I mean, I haven't got a crystal ball in front of me. We we, we hope dearly that they will, and that it, or, or that England will blow everyone out of the water and don't need things to go their way because they're just too good. But you know, the history of tournaments suggests you're at least going to come across one or two games that are a lot a lot tighter than you'd like them to be in tournament because no one has no no one has everything their own way, do they? No, um, no. And um, England certainly favourites, but whether they actually will win it, I, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I'm not not going to put put any money down on it just yet. Um, I think we've got a couple more friendlies um, still to come. There was actually a, an interesting tweet I saw. It might have been Jackie Oatley, I think, who who put it out there that England don't have the the impact subs to bring on to to maybe change a game mm. um, at this moment, as in like Alessio Russo did last year for for the Euros. Um, because you'd be thinking soon that maybe Lauren James will be a an immediate starter, and maybe maybe we don't have the depth to bring on for impact as we did. Would you agree? I would agree. I think um, it seems clear to me that Rachel Daly will go from being England's first choice left back to their second choice striker, and probably coming on after sixty minutes for Russo in the game. So there's one Daly. You know she's an excellent player. I think your second would be whoever doesn't start out of out, out, out wide out of Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly, and and Lauren James. There's your second, but yeah, you're right. It is much slimmer pickings in 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 those areas than it was at the European Championships, and and England will be fretting on the fitness of Fran Kirby, so that there's another option in in attacking midfield instead of uh, Ella Toon. So. I agree. Um, mm. England need to. I'm not sure how that can change. Actually, you, you know, we we know that with international football, you're constrained by by the constraints in front of you. Um, but if if England can can find some substitutes from somewhere, or indeed some players can step up who you might not have expected to, then then yeah, it, we know the importance of squads at major tournaments. Yeah. Well, the Lionesses last lost to Canada. That was back on the the 13th of April, 2021. They went on there. Uh, an amazing 30-game un- unbeaten streak until it all came to an end against Australia. Um, the next international window for the women takes place, I believe, between the 10th and the 18th of July, by which time Serena will have announced her squad. Uh, the World Cup, of course, starts on the 20th of July. Uh, as yet, there have been no warm-up fixtures announced 
Um, but as Rich Laverty suggested when I, I spoke last, I spoke with him last, chances are they'll play uh, one here over in, in England and then possibly a uh, one or two in Australia um, as yep. it, uh, as it comes around. That's looking likely indeed, yeah. Yeah, so it'd be, be interesting to see who they pick. I'd imagine the the standard may not be as high as um, Brazil and Australia with the, the greatest respect to ever it might it might be. Um, but it's, uh, it's all going to come to a head very soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Um, of course, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about the World Cup taking place in Australia and New Zealand as it approaches us. And, and I'd like to think maybe we can tap you up on it nearer the time, Dom. I, I will look very much forward to it. Always a pleasure. Um, keep doing all the uh, the good work on uh, englandfootball.org and, and the Evening Standard. And yeah, we'll, we'll speak with you soon. Look forward to it. Thanks very much for having me again. Thank you as always to Dom there. You can follow him on social media. He's on Twitter at Mr. Dom Smith. Uh, you'll find all his evening standard write-ups there too. I'll be back with you very soon, uh, probably just a few days' time, uh, as I'll be taking a look at the recent announcement of England, the UK and Ireland's bid uh, for the 2028 European Men's Championships. I hope you can join me for that one very soon. Also, whilst we are talking senior men, uh, if you've not seen it yet, Malta Away applications are now open. Uh, If you intend on going there for the game, make sure you get that application in. So as always, stay subscribed. You won't miss any of those episodes. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.